Hi, I'm Marcus Dip Silas. And I'm Jaffif Chu. And you're listening to the Dip Chu Podcast. On the Dip Chu Podcast, we host honest conversations about faith and church. We also speak to guests from around the world and explore what it means to follow Jesus. We're excited to be on this journey of listening and learning. And we hope that you are too. I want to ask a question about biblical church model, right? In the book of Acts, where we know that they met from house to house. Um, Did they also meet in synagogues? And is that where we also get the idea of, oh, okay, like, you know, that's where we have corporate meetings because they met in synagogues. And do you have any insight to that? I think so. I think it is. Uh, in in many ways, we are continuing that synagogue model. Uh, that okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because the synagogue was filled with unbelievers, right? They didn't believe in Jesus. So the disciples going to the synagogue was an act of mission or, or even uh, what was it? that they were content to stay and the Lord scattered them. That it was the Holy Spirit, he allowed the persecution, allowed the things to happen so that they would leave Hmm. Judea and Samaria and go into all the world. Like They were complacent and were okay just doing what they were doing all along and then Holy Spirit came and scattered them and then, you know, through the diaspora and that's how the gospel went forth. Hmm. Yeah, so Howard Snyder, he talks about this uh, shift from Old Testament to New Testament. Uh, He said, in the Old Testament, some of God's people were priests. Now all are priests, fulfilling the original design. In the Old Testament, some people were special servants of God. Now all believers are servants of Christ. In the Old Testament, some people were occasionally gifted by the Spirit for special tasks. Now all God's people receive gifts of the Spirit. So I mean just that that shift from the Old Testament to the New Testament with what what does that mean when 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 uh with the new covenant that Jesus has instituted, right? Uh and how what changes it makes um like rather than just continuing uh the synagogue model that that they were used to. Yeah. But the, the believers meet daily, mm. if I understood that correctly. Mm. Yeah. There are some implications as well because when people met daily that meant that their hunger for the for the word of god you know probably led them to make decisions on whether they would go out and earn money for food that day right and there were members within the church who were who had resources who were then able to say we'll share it in common Right? That's why there was a meal accompanied with the meeting, which is the meal that James refers to about the rich eating their fill at home and then coming and, and eating, pigging out at the shared common meal as well. And then looking at the ones who have no money and saying, God fill you up. May the Lord fill you up. Right? God bless you. Literally fill your belly. Right? And that was in James's. Um, view of church and ecclesiology, if, if if we may read into that, that was blasphemous, right? You're using the Lord's name in vain and you're doing this to someone whom you are complicit in in their hunger, mm-hmm. you know, in a sense. And that's what faith looks like for him. 
faith that is lived out. Yeah. Not not that not just in that gathering or that going to church, but faith that is lived out involves you living as a, as a lifestyle change in mm. how you take care of the people around you. Mm. It's an unrelated question, but it's something that's been on my mind for a while. Thinking not just about Christianity, but thinking about other religions, thinking about... Um, there is such an emphasis on incantations. We don't call it that, but there's a focus or there's some weight given to the spoken confessional word of human beings, right? And since we're talking about James, like, yeah, the, the, the tongue, you know, it's obvious that he understood or believed the value of watching your tongue, like regarding it with, with uh, appropriate value. I mean, even within a Western church, it's so much about confession, mm. right? You have all these confessions written by men for one, but, you know, uh, Augustine had his confession, right? Uh, um, the, the creeds are in a ways confessions, right? Mm. Um, we put such emphasis on that. I'm just... Yeah, I think that's, for me, it's like, what is it so unique about a confessional? Do you have any thoughts about that? I mean, I mean for one, is that faith comes by hearing, right? Um, and, and God spoke the world, got the world into being. I mean, there's mm. that, definitely that power of words. I think it is real, I mean, in, in that sense. I can relate it to church. Let me relate it to ecclesiology. We have used confessions to demarcate boundaries. Mm. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, right? That's one of the the tier one non-negotiables of church. To even be considered a church is, do you confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior? When someone is baptized into the church, it's like, do you confess him, Jesus, as your Lord and, and Savior? So, yeah. It is, I guess it's this related question after all. But um, in that sense, yeah, we have, we shaped so much of church around confessing, right? There's a, there's something there. I'm trying to like uh, get to it. But yeah. Do you guys have any, any confessions within your reimagined church? I mean, I guess there's an assumption or, um, kind of a baseline understanding that it's not a seeker's Bible study, right? It's more of a new way to be church or an alternative way to be church and not mm. so much, you know. But in that, is there room to explore certain mm. deconstruction questions or have there been instances where people have questioned things about faith and church and what we actually believe or confess? We do have a, a channel on Discord, which is the app that we're using to communicate uh, for mm. real questions uh, where, where people can ask questions like that. But I don't think anyone has really asked um, really confessional questions. Mm. Uh, but maybe what you're talking about here like reminds me of something that uh, in new monasticism, one of the things that they are doing as an outreach to people is that is this idea of belonging before believing. 
Mm. In our church, in order to belong, you have to believe. Mm. If you don't believe, then you're like, you're outside, right? You mm. don't belong to our group. But uh, he's exploring this idea of allowing people to belong first. And from, because if our testimony, mm. like, it's it's not just a, a, a cognitive understanding of faith, right? This we, we talk about this faith that's lived out, right? Mm-hmm. So if our if our faith is lived out, then people's believing is part of because they're part of our community of our church and they experience this, and that leads to them mm-hmm. believing in certain things, understanding what actually we are confessing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is related to what you're. I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's something that we, we've talked about, we've mentioned before, is this centered set boundary, right? Um, how do you count those who are in and who are out? Um, pastors, in a way, are gatekeepers, right? And so um, you have very, I think that's also that drives the divide between people who, if, you, if you've read um, uh, Tim Keller's where he has the four quadrants of countercultural, right? I can't remember two of them, but I know one is countercultural and the other one is uh, engagement in culture that is, uh, I don't want to use the word commercialized. I want to say it's it's catered for people who are not yet believers, mm. right? And you have on one extreme, the Amish or the Mennonites, you know, maybe less Mennonites, more Amish that, have very strict codes that are intentionally counter-cultural. And then on the other side, you have those who are maybe a little bit too um, universal or too liberal or too accepting for some. But this idea that who gets the keys to lock the gate, (laughs) right? who latches the gate and puts the padlock on who controls those like yeah i mean essentially the gatekeepers lah right and um how oftentimes certain questions are put in that category of um if you ask this question then you might not be one of us i remember in a theology class um we were talking about the trinity and you know as we were talking, so so I kind of chimed in and my professor stopped me halfway. He's like, um, I don't know, but that's like verging. I don't know where you are at. It was, I think it was what he said was, I don't know where you're at, but that's kind of verging on oneness. <laughs> and I was like, is it? Because mm-hmm. there is no cognitive dissonance for me in that sense, or there's no, there's no conflict within my mind to perceive God as three, you know, persons of the Trinity. And also believing that this is how, maybe I didn't use the word right, functional or operational, you know, whatever those those theological words, which are very important in those settings might be, less so in the realness of belonging, right? Right. Yeah. Mm. Right. So I just remember thinking like, oh no, like, am I out? (laughs) Or when I went to class. (laughs) So I was having this conversation with my dad the other day and I said, I'm fairly comfortable with exploring open theistic ideas. Mm-hmm. Like I seriously, in all honesty, do not believe that God makes every, like every single decision. He has to make every single decision in order for him to be sovereign. 
Mm. Like that to me, that doesn't affect his sovereignty, whether it's, you know, providence or whether it's foreknowledge, like those things, like they are foundational, but they're not cornerstone enough that if a little bit of this was different from my imagination, that God is suddenly no longer sovereign, right? The question of, can God make a rock that's big enough that he cannot push? And then my question is, <laughs> but why though? <laughs> that is the question to ask, why would God make a rock that he cannot move? Is he, is he that bored? <laughs> Does he really need something to, like, can he, he doesn't have anything else to do? You know, so so some of these like ontological questions or, or to me, it's like somebody was not there at the time to ask the why question. <laughs> and it became a full-fledged debate without someone being like, Joe, why would God do this in the first place? Right? Mm. So, I, yeah, I mean, um, in that sense that, that again, coming back to the, the boundaries, the, the Senate set boundary where we, we decide essentially who's in and who's out. Yeah. I just read this uh, paper this week, actually, uh, from a course that I was taking um, about this idea of a theological wiggle room. And he talks about, like, in order to have that hospitality in especially youth ministry, you know, for people to talk about mm. um, different kinds of ideas, their mm. understanding of God, uh, they have this theological wiggle room. And basically, it's, it's drawing from ordinary theology or everyday theology. Mm. It's not the, you know, academy kind of theology mm. where we want precise, right? Like we like you said, they want that, the precise words and how you word this, mm -hmm. the Trinity and stuff. Yeah. But in the ordinary and everyday theology, uh, this theological wiggle room, this, this non-precise uh, kind of mm. uh, rough kind of mm. idea, it's actually a resource. It's not a shortcoming mm. of the ordinary theology because it, it it, mm. it it makes the space hospitable to to people that mm. people are able to grow in that space that that with, with theological wiggle room mm. yeah so just just tapping on what you're saying on that mm. do you mm. see what you are doing as a way of theologizing from an asian Southeast Asian specifically perspective? Mm. I mean, I can only theologize from my Southeast Asian perspective. Well, yes, but our training doesn't include that perspective though. Our theological training, maybe yours does, I guess, Asia graduate. I would hope so that yours does. But at least for me, that was not my experience, right? Mm. Yeah. It is, it is, honestly, it's very hard because we, like you say, our training, uh, even in school, even in our national curriculum, you know, we, mm. are tr we are trained in a very great kind of worldview, that kind mm. of categories. Mm. Um, honestly, many times I have to take a step back and think mm. about, is this how my world framed the question or structure mm. the issue? Mm. Because I may be importing a Western question into into my my Asian context, and we do mm. uh, mm. Asian theology classes and talk about local theologies and how how that. But also because in Asian culture we don't have a lot of written stuff, so the philosophy and all that we, mm. we learn all that from the West. So we mm. are my mind is is filled with that kind of framing. Mm. And how how much can I say that I'm theologizing from a Southeast Asian perspective? Although this is my only perspective. Mm. Yeah. Um, I do have to step, uh, take a step out and, and bracket that out 
to see to 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 read that. Yeah. Yeah. So the reason I ask, particularly with how you know you are you are working with this group now, is because um. So I was Chinese educated until from three. When I was in primary school, um, our morning daily exercise was to we all had a photocopy version of Sun Tzu Jing, and every morning we would recite it. So Ren Zi Chu, Xing Ben San, right? All and then just keep going. I can't remember. I remember the first six words only, lah. <laughs> um, but these ideas that Confucius had about human and human relationship and all of that, right? Mm. Um. And some of the fundamental questions that are processed in Southeast Asian culture are, is often processed through the lens of collectivism and community. Mm. That, like you said, when we ask certain questions, we import a Western question, right? And while the question might seem important because we're all humans and we all, to some degree, can conceptualize certain ideas. Right, we have the capacity to do that, mm. but how we grew up, where we grew up, you know, the values that we have—they are not inherent to our humanity, but mm. we are raised with them. You know, we are—we are our whole world is built with it, right? Right. And we were talking to an African theologian, South African theologian, who um, is a public theologian, helping Africans, South Africans in particular, ask the question: How can I? Be South Africa, be a South African who is faithful to the gospel of Jesus, mm. and he does it through this African concept called Ubuntu. Mm. Maybe those of us who know philosophy, we are familiar with Descartes. Um, I think, therefore, I am. Mm. And then mm. you know the idea of Ubuntu, which is African and not Western, is I am because we are. So very fundamentally mm. different ways of understanding understanding being right in the West is I understand I I understand my humanity because I'm autonomous because I have uh, cognitions because um, I have ability to perceive and that's mm. why we see a lot of policies and even foreign policies and politics is arranged around this concept of democracy freedom personal liberties right. Whereas the question that is central in other cultures is not whether I am autonomous. Mm. It's not whether I am free. The question is, who are we? Yeah. Right. And the the search for identity is layered because you look for meaning together. You don't find meaning alone. You know, we've talked about expressions. You and I, Melanie, have had conversations about. Um, you know what is Western, what is not expressions within the church. Oftentimes, you know, as we have said, they have remained just around worship, right? The style of worship. So it's very stylistic questions. Um, but I feel like in many ways, this is kind of peeling back the surface, or or, or working through the the proverbial cultural onion, which has many layers, to sort of ask the central questions of either even gathering. Mm. What is a church gathering? Mm. Right, because the confessional once a week meeting um, may signal for some cultures their membership to a group. Uh, here, it doesn't really do that. Right, <laughs> you know. Um, it, I mean, 
I've seen it, the, the way that I've seen it is that if the gospel had come to Asia, if Paul hadn't, you know, gone to Western in that sense, uh, Turkey, Western Turkey, and and kind of spread towards that direction, if it had come here, I think it would have, church would look very differently. Now, not that we don't have blind spots or we don't have, you know, problems, but mm. that it would look differently because it would be more centered around I believe more around relationship mm. than confessions. Because that's how I see it playing out in the Asian church. You know, while we we can say that the Malaysian church at least mm. doesn't seem to be very active in the field of missions, mm. um, at the same time, I would I see Malaysian people as as very equipped to be missional. Mm. And in fact, oftentimes very missional for various reasons you know but it's also because of who we are mm. it's a relationship thing yeah yeah i agree <laughs> so I, I was just reading um romans 12 uh, in the message version um mm. recently uh, and this this line each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole not the other way around the body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. Mm. And like how, I mean, the, since what, 15, 16 years old, I've been asking this question of what is the meaning of life, right? And what am I called mm. to do? And I always think of that question as an in in individual kind of question. What is my meaning of life? Mm. But from this, I saw that we find our meaning in as part of the body. Mm. So maybe first and foremost, we need to belong to the body mm-hmm. in order to find what is yeah. happening in that, in that space, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that is one uh, idea that I'm really exploring with my current community. I don't, I don't know if we will get mm-hmm. there, but it's that, I mean, with the dreams that God has put mm-hmm. in, different, in, in, in all our hearts, different mm-hmm. dreams that is in our hearts, um, are there certain dreams that, that resonate with each other that we can come together to do mm-hmm. something uh, to we call it adventure to venture out together. Mm. It's an adventure mm. that we take together with the mm. Lord, right? To venture out to hopefully bring a positive change uh, in society for the flourishing of of society. Mm. Um, and I think this, I agree with you that uh, it's 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 relationship. Yeah. The church is relationship at, at the foundation of it, uh, and instead of trying to transplant and like you say we're missional people right actually one of the one of the main reason that i'm interested in reimagining church is actually a missional uh, reason because mm. i believe that malaysians were called to missions yeah. i believe that god will send us out into different countries mm-hmm. but then the traditional mission um doesn't really work anymore you can't really go to a place and say i'm here to bring you the mm. goodness of jesus christ right we need a reason to be in to be in uh, people's community in the location mm. and mm. i think uh, one of it is uh, we need to bring the holistic gospel not just a mm. spiritual gospel to those places and yeah. one way is god is actually making us very entrepreneurial people and to start different kinds of organization or even mm. businesses to bring mm. this into different parts of the world. And mm. we start as community, as people. Mm. Let's say like three, three families, right? Three, three families, we just move into a place and that community itself is the church. Yeah. And we need to learn how do we live as the church? And that training starts now. 
which yeah. is why I really see what we're doing now is important because we learn how to be church without mm. that kind of institutional structure. So that when we go into a place, we're not thinking of building a Sunday work service mm. to, to, to get people to attend. And then we say, oh, our church is growing because people are coming to our Sunday services. Mm. But how do we be that community that is bringing, that's mm. leaving out our faith yeah. That's bringing positive change into that that community, mm. and that mm. is mission. Mm. Uh, and and the core of of that is relationship because yeah. it is true relationship. And and having work, having like let's say if it's a business, right? The work brings you in touch with people. That's that's mm. you know, people call that pen making and all that. But no, I mm. think that's just that's just relationship. That's just just mm. us living out our missions. Mm. And I I think the the future of church planting is like that instead of trying to get people mm. into um, a Sunday thing. This is in line with also, you know, um, what we talked about <laughs> in your introduction, right? You are um, investing your life in ventures that bring about a more just ecosystem. So could you maybe talk a little bit about um, what are some of these ventures and what do you mean by a just ecosystem? Well, currently we don't have any ventures yet. Mm. <laughs> we are meeting uh, twice a week to uh, share different ideas, uh, mm. dreams that got put on our mind. Mm. Uh, one of our uh, members, he, he, he has this idea of doing like a TED Talk style kind of thing. So we mm. prepare like a 15 minutes presentation of, of a dream or an idea, a seed that God has put in our hearts and then we share that with one another. Mm. Uh, and one of the things that is on my heart, for example, I, I don't want to go too much into it, is is uh, about uh, injustice that we see in, in our world. Like, Mm. For example, um, of um, the middleman or the delivery platforms taking mm. a, a huge chunk of the commission uh, from the SMEs, the the um, F and B merchants, and how do we come up with a system where it is mm. paying everyone fairly, uh, a mm. profit sharing kind of understanding? I mean, in in this capit- capitalistic uh, system, I don't think we can change everything. Mm. Overnight, you know, there's, there's, I don't think there's, there's any way to do that, but we can come up with alternatives, alternatives that um, change the way uh, to, to, to provide an alternative into the market so that the, the bullies cannot continue, <laughs> so mm. to speak. Uh, and that is, that is the idea. Lah. So I'm hoping, mm. I don't know, like the idea of the clap hand side, I don't know if you are familiar with that. Uh, or having mm. Christians come to, I mean, you know, William Wilberforce, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's he's not alone. He has a group of people who they are working together, they are praying together. Uh, I mean, they they enter into politics and stuff. I don't think we have to enter into politics. Uh, maybe well, mm. not against that, but maybe in in the realm of business or in the realm what whichever mm. that God has give, given to us, the sphere that God has given to us, that has called us to mm. the mission that he has given to us, the gift that he's given to us. And how do we contribute towards uh, a, a more just ecosystem to build um, mm. I mean the, the the injustices, to correct the injustices or mm. the evils in society to bring a positive change in that way. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's so good. <laughs> but we so, don't think it. <laughs> what's a just ecosystem? What's a just ecosystem? 
So there are different ways to measure justice, right? For example, uh, yes, justice. What what is justice? I mean, the foundation of God's throne is justice and righteousness. But how do we measure justice? What is just? Uh, it's 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 a philosophical question. Uh, you uh, is it by by merit? Is it by needs? Uh, uh, is it um, by um, equity it's it's totally the same for everyone um no i i, I mean i think each of this uh, has its own um, merits uh, mm. that we can uh, learn from but i think we need all three understanding of justice uh, in certain things we need to use the merit uh, definition for some mm. we need equity for some it's based on needs but i think instead of um thinking of justice as like everyone the same I think maybe the the end goal I think one of the writers he he described it as as everyone being able to participate at the table mm. so it's like a table the table is the same uh, and when we think of justice we think of all the chairs as the same kind of chairs mm. but maybe because we are all different we're all built differently right like I'm mm. short you may be very tall and some people so it's maybe babies uh, mm. or maybe a, a crippled person but how do you allow to build different uh, chairs with different mm. heights uh, mm. that accommodate to different people so that we can all participate at the table Mm. Uh, to to have a relationship, so the, the end goal again is relationship yeah. relationship, right? Is is shalom is is the right relationship mm. that is restored, uh, God's way of of building the world, yeah. So mm. it's it's not just uh, yeah, that justice is in like everyone the same, but I think in in rebuilding that kind of restoring the kind of right relationship in society. Mm. I'm not building an organization so people mm. come and go and I don't actually expect I mean I expect us to actually mm. break out of this form mm. of staying together because I, I hope that eventually we'll become like micro churches mm. where we all have something that God has given us that we are obeying him uh, in uh, mm. the area that he's he's put on our hearts essentially yeah 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 yep. and gathering okay. around yeah yeah which is so good, right? That's, I mean, to me, that's the whole point of us even meeting in the first place is, you know, being being equipped, I mean, right? And then and then being sent out and and then discipling others, you know? Mm. So I think it's a whole, like, it, it's the whole concept of what does discipleship look like? Right. Mm. Yeah. For a long time, I really wanted um, us to venture out in missions. Mm. So it's like, God, what is our mission? Yeah. What is the mission that yeah. you gave us? Uh, because for me, like mission is a big part of the church, but I think in this journey, God really um, um, realigned or corrected my understanding in this. Mm. Uh, I think that the issue is obedience. Yeah. It's not even missions. It's obedience wow. to whatever that God is calling us to and yeah. being faithful to that. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, at the end of the day, it's uh, start trying to manufacture a mission for ourselves. But or going fact, for a mission it, trip, for example. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but whatever that God is putting on our hearts, mm. are we obeying Him? Whether mm. it's in our personal walk or in yeah, as a group. Mm. Yeah. I like this. Probably I describe it as teleological statement that Joshua once made, which was that when he started the House of Prayer in Penang, his goal was that one day it would not exist. 
because churches would prioritize prayer that each church would be a house of prayer. Mm. Um, it's really interesting when I come across missions organizations who celebrate 100 years of being around and talk about being around for another 100 more years. Kind of makes me question what the end goal is, longevity, or is it um, fulfilling the mission? You know, like, do we have a vision where one day we will not be needed? I don't think many churches have that, right? Um, you know, I mean, we've been pretty frank on the podcast. We've been pretty frank in the conversations, but, you know, I think my my... My struggle is I want to celebrate the movements that I see, but I've been part of three movements myself. Mm. And sometimes I the struggle is I don't know whether to celebrate or to fearfully pray because human movements, no matter how anointed, no matter how much we talk about sustainability and or even the idea of how do we sustain a revival and all these different things, right? Um, I think it leads us away from the important question or the important questions. Mm. The important question of, of why are we doing this? Mm. For who are we doing this? You know, mm. how are we doing this, right? So one of the things that I was reminded of uh, in this research is actually Revol movement, uh, mm. the Revo revolution, which recess Revol. I think a lot of people know mm. it as that. Yeah. Uh, it's just revolution by love, by love in action, by doing mm -hmm. something uh, in action. Yeah. Um, because of their simple motto, actually, the church didn't start it. It's, it was, I think it was started by a, a girl, I think. And the church basically supported it. They became like a loudspeaker of that mm. of that message. Mm. And, be, mm. and it wasn't successful because they were they were um spreading that message. It was successful because it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit in people's heart. Mm. There was such resonance among young people at that time that when they heard it, they just took action. And it's so simple, mm. pray, listen, obey. And I thought, yeah, that actually that's what the church is. We pray, and then we listen, and then we just obey. And it's 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 just that, you know. And we try. I think a lot of times we complicate stuff. Yeah. For young people, and most yeah. most of the people in rebel movement, they are they are in their teens, right? Teenagers mm. yeah. or, or young adults, and that's what they do. A few a few people came together and they prayed, mm. and they listened to what God tells them tell them to do, and then mm. they just obey. They step out, they do it. Mm -hmm. uh, and and it's wondering, you know, like is like is that um a, a Malaysian kind of movement, a Malaysian mm. kind of flavor of what the church can be. I mean, we talk about the, the Malaysian church being missional. You know, because that's 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 this desire in our hearts to obey God and in, mm. in this way. Yeah. Wow. So that is one of the movement actually that I have been thinking about and, and trying to see. I mean, is is that something you can tap into here that is genuinely Malaysian? Mm. Yeah. yeah. So at the good. same time, you need leaders who are not concerned about just building a movement then. Like mm. you need conviction. I, I agree with you. And on one hand, it is that simple. On the other hand, it's not because the the politics of 
you know, who gets credit, the politics mm, of correct. who gets to make decisions, mm. branding, mm. right? Like report. But there's oh. something, like, don't you think there's something there? I mean, I mean, Jeff is a mm-hmm. bit more... Uh, to, to be involved, right? You you went you went. Um, yeah, Revo campus uh, also. Right? Yeah, yeah. Were I was in, I was in college and university when this thing kind of picked off. Hmm. So I would hear stories lah of, hmm. of what was happening inside high schools. Is it still going on this Revo thing? So the funny thing is, right? I was reminded of reminded of it um end of the year, and then I went to Google it, hmm. and then that same week they posted in Instagram saying they are trying to revo- revive Revol. And they came out, uh, Kenneth, Pastor Kenneth Chin wrote the book, um, my Revol story or something like that. So I, I bought the book uh, about him doc- documenting like, some of these stories. I mean, it's nothing new from everything that we've heard. Like we're, you already heard, heard the story about it. But it's, it, the interesting thing I think that, that coincides with my project is that uh, they were their youth ministry was struggling. So it is mm. they, the ass version of how it started is their youth ministry was struggling. So uh, they decided to close down the mini- the youth ministry and support the youth's work in the school. So instead of seeing the mm. youth's sphere in the church, they started to see the youth sphere in the school, and they support the their youth to to minister in their school uh, and that's. Mm. That's how it started, lah. So it's, I mean, that's how they say it started, lah. So I'm just thinking it's there's this real parallel there about how you close down the in not not close down. Actually, I'm not even advocating mm. for closing down, but that releasing people from the institutional church mm. so that right. in their sphere they can leave that up. Wow. Yeah. Mm. So I'm I'm not sure actually what to yeah. do with this this rebel. Thing that's hanging here. Like, mm. God, do you want me to study them? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. No. A lot of things start off very, you know, very genuine, very authentic, very small, and then they grow, and then the structures come in, and then it becomes big and then it becomes so different from when it first started. So, and then, so now I feel like we are almost like proponents of like, Hey, let's get back to, to the already, you know, let's get back to this, to where, you know, where it first started or where like the initial goals and how it was first like. So, yeah. So what's your plan? If reimagine church, um, expands, I, I, as in like, if, you know, a lot more people start coming and say, Oh my God, I just, I really, Will you guys multiply, expand, or? <laughs> I mean, I doubt it will catch that kind of traction. Mm. But I think, I mean, at, the question that I'm always asking them is, what is God asking you to? Or what is God calling mm. you to? Um, and I, I have no interest in maintaining this kind of group, <laughs> mm. <laughs> or whatever you call it, like lead or pastor them. Yeah, all I want to see is people release to. To follow God and obey God in whatever that mm. God is calling them to, mm-hmm. yeah. But I do hope that from this, what I learned from experimenting with this group, and also from my research project, is that I can come up with a workable model, lah. Not to mm. say not not a prescribed model for people, mm. just a mo- workable model that maybe that's how you can start, and then you see where God leads you. Adaptable model. Yeah. Maybe. And will you be writing about that, that model? Oh. 
for my research, for my research, no, I won't be reaching at like describing a model yet, but may, mm. maybe, I don't know. Because there's too much research work to do to make it happen, right? For a research-based question. Right. Yeah. And I'm trying to, but that is the goal. I'm trying to find mm. a sustainable structure. Mm. Uh, because without that structure, then it's just going to be transient community as well. That's not yeah. going to work also. Transient community? What, 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 what's like that? It, it lives and dies. It's just, uh, okay. yeah. Which I believe structure is transient. But maybe mm. not as trans, not as liquid lah. Yeah, because there are in, in in the in in the academic um uh conversation, there are people who are advocating for just totally, just don't have any kind of structure and groups mm. where they are gathering for different things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Not sure if that's really going to be the way lah. Mm. <laughs> I can imagine if Jay first asked Lauren that question, Lauren would be like, "Why can't you just enjoy a good thing now?" <laughs> why do you always have to plan for the future why do you always have to have some grand scheme of how things just let God work now <laughs> let that be enough yeah <laughs> just listen to me yeah. all the time <laughs> so good so good leave in the present <laughs> yeah yeah no 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 that is so good you guys meet online or you guys meet physically both yeah but no during MCO cannot meet there online mm. yeah. Melanie, tell me a funny memory you have of Japheth. <laughs> funny memory. Oh, okay. This time I went to uh, KL. I sat down in the mama stall. He came in. He said, Hi, Mel. He went on for like two, three minutes. And he brought up like 15 conversations. And then I sat there and I'm like, Japheth. What do you want me to respond to? <laughs> brought up 15 different conversations. <laughs> and, then, just... and then, as I said that, he, he bring it to the 16th conversation. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll respond to the 16th conversation. <laughs> because the 15 is no longer on his mind. <laughs> <laughs> he used to be this scattered brain, but no, I think he's a lot more focused now. <laughs> Maybe I was just excited to see you, Mel. <laughs> oh! Oh! <laughs> 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 it was like, that memory was a happy memory for me. <laughs> it's ruined now. It's a funny memory for me. <laughs> I wonder if it's an extrovert thing. Hmm. Yeah, ENFP thing. I'm saying. <laughs> Wait, so Jafer, in in Lester's conversation and Lester's and a conversation with Lester, you said that the personality tests indicate otherwise. Do personality tests indicate you as an introvert? No, no, no. They, uh, <laughs> I hey, think that's I not what I put up on the on the podcast. I, I think people think you are introvert now. No, actually, I think um, so when I listened back to that part, I realized that I said it wrong. <laughs> What I meant to say All is the that, personality tests indicate otherwise. That means that it's not. No, 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 no. All, I meant to say all the tests indicate that I am an extrovert. Yeah. Like, like, confirms. Uh. <laughs> I think it gave people like a more nuance with Jafeth is not like, an, ooh, introvert. an introvert. What? Yeah, I that's what you mean. <laughs> no. I should have checked with you, but it was like, ah, oh, it's too late. I really didn't. I know. When I heard it, I was like, oh man, oh man. 
<laughs> no, I'm still introvert. I'm still extrovert. <laughs> I mean, I'm extrovert. <laughs> all the test in all the test confirms. Mm. Yes, that was what I meant to say. Melanie, you are like a proponent of Meyer Briggs, even though Meyer Briggs has been disproven time and time and time again. Wait, are you serious? Yeah, it, it's made up by a mother daughter team that are not really. There's no real psychological. How about the Enneagram? The Enneagram is not a psychology thing. Enneagram is actually a spiritual formation. Ah, uh, really? It, it's it, not meant to be a psychology thing. Developed by Christians, is it? No. Okay. By occult Muslims. <laughs> <laughs> by Sufis. Wait, are you serious? Uh-huh. Yeah. The concept of an enneagram, a nine-pointed star, is uh, developed by mystic Muslims, not occult, mystic Muslims. Um, but the Catholic Church, particularly the Jesuits, I think the Jesuits are probably the most scandalous within, within the orders of all the Catholic churches because they, they are the ones who started this concept called situational ethics. They are the ones who started using Enneagram in the church. In fact, like it's part of their spiritual formation program. And mm. you're not supposed to reveal your number, actually. It's like with between you and your spiritual director. And it's never used as leverage. It's mm. more to help you understand yourself. I mean, I initially, when I was just like, your number, number, this number, that, I don't do that anymore like now. But um, yeah, so it's That's not meant to be psycho- psychological. That's so interesting. And like, why have we painted it as if like, oh, this is a Christian thing? Because most Christians are using it now. Yeah lah. And most people don't read history lah. That's so interesting. But yeah, so are you still, are you still a Maya Briggs proponent? Yeah, because I think it's helpful for uh, for me to understand mm. people yeah. who are different from me. So that's, that's the main use of mm. Maya Briggs. Yeah, I think these are all languages lah for us to talk mm. about people. Yeah. yeah it can be I mean yeah I guess I, the question is whether it's helpful or not so helpful I mean I think it's helpful some people may, may think oh you know you shouldn't like put yourself in yeah you know put yourself be, in a box people can change you're supposed to change we're, we're all supposed to change I don't know I mean yeah but usually the people who say that haven't changed for the last as, 25 years <laughs> As a helpful guide to understand ourselves and people, I think that's really it. You are. Well, Melanie, thank you so much for agreeing to meet with us and have this conversation. We appreciate you and also um, really admire the work that you're doing. Also, the questions that you're asking, it's it's refreshing. And I think we, we need to ask more of those questions. So much fun having you with us. Can you, in like a sentence or two, um, give me a definition of your understanding of church? Mm. Yeah, well, I think for me, you know, um, church has never been about a building, you know. Mm. Uh, It's never been... It's also, for me, never been about structure. You know, it's never been about the institution um, of church. Um, I think that structures can help, but I think in my experiences, I think structures have been more 
more unhelpful than helpful sometimes, most of the times. Mm. So for me, I think church really is about people. And I think we keep coming back to this, right? Like how we are the church. Now when we're talking about a church, we're not just talking about them or like they, you know, some other entity. We are very much talking about ourselves as well, mm. you know? And you're meaning you and you and I, is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Me, you, our community, the people around us, you know. Mm. Believers, right? Um, followers of Jesus, right? And we're doing this together. Yeah. So for me, I think that would be how I would define church, right? You know, um, a bunch of believers doing life together, trying their best to follow Jesus and to exemplify him well. Yeah, I think for me, that would be how I would define church. How about you, Marcus? I mean, in large portion, you have kind of described what I idealize about church. I think I I recognize that there's uh, an ideal that I, I think about or look to when I talk about church, but mm. also there's the reality of what church is now mm. and what it has become, right? And so, you know, um, being able to straddle both and say there are good things um, mm. in the church now. You know, the goal, I mean, the goal of this podcast is not to tear down mm. people, yeah, right? definitely. pastors or or leaders, you know, to say what a bad job they're doing. Like, that's not the goal. Um, however, you know, what we have come to witness in near history because of brave people being willing to come forward with the truth, mm. we are seeing a lot of abuse sexually, spiritual mm. manipulation, financial embezzlement, all these different things, right? That, that uh, um, Brian Houston sat down with uh, a, a very prominent news agency uh, uh, very recently to talk about um, Hillsong, New York and what's been going on there. And then also in April this year, they um, shut down um, a branch of the Hillsong Church in Dallas because of misused funds. So you see, like, oh, no. in our little ecosystem of most Malaysian churches, all Malaysian churches know who Hillsong is. Even a lot of our non-Christian friends would have heard us talk mm. about Hillsongs or heard Hillsongs uh, music or have been invited to Hillsongs concerts and conferences before. Um, now there's a very public... Um, conversation or very public exposure of some of the things that are happening within the church. Um, of mm. course, it's it's not pretty, right? It's not mm. ever pretty when a, a church leadership has to discipline its uh, its staff or its leaders for doing inappropriate things. It's also never pretty, really, for the church in general that we have these kind of scandals going on. So I have like a, a, in one, on one side of my mind, a reality of where we are now. Mm. You know, we are not known as a church. We're not known to be yeah. um, very graceful, even though we talk about grace a lot. We're not known mm. to be very kind to culture, even though we mm. talk a lot about God loving our world. Um, we're not known to be very good with our money. 
even though mm. we talk about stewarding, tithing, and finances yeah. all the time, right? Yeah. Um, so there's that reality of that. And then at the same yeah. time, um, you know, I'm connected to people who represent the church in really dark places. Mm. And I see the beauty of the work that they are doing, mm. right? I see the importance of the work that they're doing, the light that they are, mm. where they are. And so in, in there's kind of like this wrestling tension in me where I've come to see the mm. definition of church to me is, is flawed, Mm. Right, we're flawed yeah. people trying yeah. to present um, a mm. holy, perfect God um, to a world that doesn't accept our authority. Yeah, right. And so, and we have been screaming about it for years, right? Trying to mm. shove the Bible down people's throats or bang the Bible mm. over people's heads or try to comment about or critique a uh, culture around us and all these different things. Um, but our authority is not accepted. Mm. Um, and so I, I guess like that mm. brings me back to this question of how have we gotten to where we are today in our understanding of church? That we are doing things the way we are doing on autopilot. Yeah. So Yeah, no, that's so good. Yeah. So church is church is beautiful, but church is also ugly. Yeah, and I think I found a word that I wanted to use just now. Sobering. Mm. I think uh, the realization that we are church and so, you know, when one member of the body suffers, we all suffer and how we're all connected uh, into the body of Christ. Um, when one member fails, right, mm -hmm. and suffers in that sense, we are all responsible. Yes. We all have a part to play. Yeah. So the sobering reality is then, okay, if I'm as much responsible for the church's faults and failures, how do I slash we make things better? Yeah. And I think if anything, this has been just our humble attempt in, in being, let's ask ourselves the hard questions because we want to be better. I want to be better, you know? So it's not about pointing fingers, making noise all of a sudden, yeah. you know, being bold to say things all of a sudden. I think for me, it's, well, same old, same old isn't working, <laughs> you know? And I'm just done with things being as it is. And so how can we, let's have conversation to ask ourselves, how can we, we become better as the body of Christ? Yeah. I want to draw attention to what you just said there about the sobering reality. We want to rejoice when other people rejoice, right? Mm. About certain things. Like we, we, we take on the victories of other people, but yet um, mm. we are able to, to categorize and compartmentalize when it's failures, right? We, mm. we push ourselves away, especially when, when Christians are the ones who, you know, mm. there's a headline that a Christian did this, we're like, oh, but but they're not a Christian. They're not a real Christian. And we try to Correct. push things away. I mean, it's happened with Westboro Baptist Church, right? It's happened with entire movements where, um, you know, pastors or leaders have said something really racist or really sexist or just really mm. bad. And then we, are, we try to distance ourselves. Um, and the reason I want to draw attention to, to that, what you're saying um, about... Mm. When one part of the body fails, we are all uh, complicit, right? There yeah. is um, a doctrine of sin 
it's not accepted by uh, a lot of reformed theologians and a lot of conservative evangelicals, but there's a doctrine of sin that talks about sin being found in a structure. So it's, it's mm. this idea of structural sin where that when a group of people come together, the sum of the parts are greater than um, the, 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 mm. the parts itself. Right, mm. that it, it's this concept of synergy actually, but uh, yeah. used on the inverse. You know, synergy is when yeah. when two people come together, you can do the work of three people, right? Mm. If you one person doing it, you maybe do one person's work. Two people work together, you mm. can do three people's work. Three people work together, you can do five people's work. This idea mm. of of synergy and there's a negative impact to it is that when the church does something as a whole and it negatively, mm. um. If the outcome is negative and even hurtful or harmful, it's more hurtful and harmful mm. than let's say a hundred people acting as individuals. It's more mm. hurtful and harmful when the hundred people act as one. Mm. So this is the the kind of the 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 big idea of structural sin. Now many yeah. evangelical pastors and reformed theologians and more conservative parties have come out against it because uh, a lot of them are unfortunately white all these, these teachers mm. uh, who are more comfortable with the idea of personal responsibility. So mm. they are wanting more to look at what the individual is doing, mm. um, but they are willing to accept the positive side of things, right? When two mm. or three are gathered, Jesus is there, right? Like we, we want yeah. to quote those things, right? There's power in gathering, but what if your gathering is, is doing horrible things, mm. right? What if your gathering is, is contributing to, um, uh, uh, mm. to harm to people like that yeah. harm is greater than let's say one or two people mm. doing it two people doing it together is is greater the harm is greater and yeah. so um, that is the you know like when you talk about a sobering reality right that is in mm. a way part of that the 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 seriousness of mm. this sobering reality is whether we mm. have personally enacted on it or not, we are complicit. We are guilty mm. by association. And we're mm. also guilty by not speaking out, not correcting things, not, yeah. you know, we contribute, we enable this culture mm. of, you know, uh, abuse. We enable this culture yeah. of, of, of harassment and bullying. I mean, Mark Driscoll is in the news again uh, uh, mm. for this time for, for misusing church funds. And what happened when he, you know, was fired from his last position and the church mm. had to close down because he was buying his own book so that he could be known as a bestseller, right? Mm. Didn't we have this before? You know, and now these things are happening again and you mm. guys have to wonder like, what are we doing, right? Mm. And so, and yeah. the, the what are we doing question is, is there an alternative? Yeah. Is there an alternative yeah. to celebrity pastor culture? Right? Yeah. Is there alternative yeah. to pedestaling people, but on mm. the on 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 the on the on this side surface we pedestal them, but actually we are mm. using and abusing them for their gifts because they mm. are our pastors, they are our teachers, they are our preachers, they are you know mm. our intercessors. Like, how do we become better as mm. a body? Thanks for tuning into the Dip Chew Podcast. This was the second episode in a two-part series featuring our guest, Melanie Lim. 
To listen to our first conversation with Melanie titled Reimagining Church, please visit our streaming platforms on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Castbox. Tune in next week for more conversations like these.